Welcome, everybody, to the Spawn on Me podcast. This is episode 86. I am your host, Cicero Holmes, and I'm here with, nope, yeah, he's not here. Screw him. He's out. He's he's about. He's he's doing all sorts of other things. He didn't care about Chicago. I care about you guys. Uh, not uh, really, really. Because uh, he's uh, doing work related things. He is making Chicago bigger and brighter. He is on uh, the NAFTA trade agreements for Chicago. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, Hopefully he's doing well, and you guys hopefully will be able to hear from him next week. Sorry we missed you guys last week. Um, there was a lot of stuff going on, first and foremost. Um, er- everything that was going on in Paris really kind of threw a damper on everything. Uh, and, the, you know, the things that are going on in Paris, the things that are going on in Missouri, the things that are going on in Minnesota, the things that are going on here in Chicago. Uh, you know, yet again, here we are. Um, the world and America is helping us to remember that, uh, you know, video games are fun, but uh, it's it's not the only thing in the world. And sometimes you got to put the controller down and remember what the real world is and uh, how the real world affects us. So, you know, uh, from Chicago, I want to say that our hearts and prayers and well wishes and all that other stuff is going out to to all of the world the people that are directly affected uh by the the latest tragedies and atrocities that have happened across the world uh and even those that were affected uh from afar so um shout out to all of you guys um housekeeping really quickly want to say uh thanks guys for taking a listen to uh episode 85 um, all about Robotech and all that good stuff there with our, our buddy, the Grand Pooh Bear. Um, what a great episode. I really enjoyed ourselves with that. Um, you know, fun time was had by all. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. And uh, another quick shout out to Sharif Jackson, who had his, uh, you know, he is our minister of no finance. Uh, he, he went in and he had his... Uh, there was the life, the extra life program that they that they did over last weekend, and he raised a lot of money. So shout out to him and everyone in the, uh, I think it was the Greater Milwaukee area, the group that he that he was together with. So uh, thanks a lot for that, uh, for everyone that helped out with that, and uh, you know shout out to to Reef man, you're doing big things, bro. Uh, so this show would be boring if you know I know I am the the. The more charming of of the two, uh, you know, speaking, talking heads of Chicago, but this show would be boring if all you heard was me making brilliant points, you know, time in and time out. You 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 can't have that. So I brought some I brought some people back who uh, are are just wonderful wonderful people that I'm so excited to have on the show to help me through. The, the loss that is Khalif Adams. Um, the first is someone who was a guest and um, you know I'm gonna start I'm gonna start with him first. Uh, he is a game designer. He is a Linux sysadmin. He is also black. 
So he is a black game designer and a black sysadmin that, I mean, and it's the only place that you're going to find both of those things at the same time is here in Bricago. Uh Ladies and gentlemen, as we all know, when you come in for the very first time, you're a guest. When you come back, you're no longer a guest. You've got to work. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce you to your minister of security, Mr. Quinn yeah. Murphy. Quinn, how are you today, sir? I'm doing great. Good to be back. Oh, man. Uh, it's, it's, it's a pleasure to have you back. And, um, you know, again, you are the minister of security. You, of course, know mm-hmm. why you are the minister of security. <laughs> and uh, so maybe maybe you can explain to people why. You've been dubbed the Minister of Security. Minister of Security? What? Wait. Well, well, uh, well. So the thing is, you're a, you're a sysadmin. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, and you understand security, mm-hmm. and you know, you are the person who who registers and understands thought crimes. Oh yeah, yes. that's true. So so therefore, you are the Minister oh. of Security. That's true. Yeah. That's true. I, yeah. I, I, I see that. Yeah. So there you go. So uh, hopefully you enjoy <laughs> that title. Thanks so much for being on the show. Um, yes. And thank you now. You know, whether you, you, you've you now officially accepted this role, you are forever the Minister of Security. <laughs> uh, there are no there are no elections here in Chicago. These are all appointments. So you, you have it for life. Um, Thanks. Congratulations, sir. The next person mm-hmm. I want to introduce is... Um, is a friend of mine. Uh, everyone's a friend of mine, but 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 you know, all I have to say is this person and I have something that where we can say why she fall like that though, <laughs> and and everything <laughs> and everything else melts away. Um, but this person has been on the show a few times actually, and uh, is is just. An amazing, just an amazing person, an amazing woman. She is one of our black academics. She has um, just an amazing personality. Her her hat game is on point. Her bow tie game is on point. Her suit game is on point. Her vest game is on point. She is. One of the black academics, like I said, she is also Bricago's newest minister of style. Yay! It is yeah. Dr. Trey Andrea Russworm. Trey, how you doing? Thank you. Thank you for that introduction, and I graciously accept my ministerhood. I was trying to figure out if it's ministerhood, ministership. You know, I've never been a minister before. Yeah, I don't so know. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know what it is, but you know, I graciously right. accept it yeah. and proudly will be spawn on me as minister of style and uh word know, up word I up got, we we are we are definitely blessed to I'll have you down such. in that regard <laughs> yeah so so trey what's been going on with you since the last time we t- we spoke with you i guess the last time we we had you on was uh was in june-ish i think for the black academics right and in the, the black academics episode and you were on with kashana uh, another doctor and and uh, and and uh, and Tanya to pass and and Kai and you guys went all in. Yeah, you know, I'm just still on that grind, that academic grind. Um, 
I mean, right. I can't pretend like a lot is not happening in the academic world, um, at least from right. a, you know, um, just a, I want to say social justice or just um, sort of activism standpoint. That's really what I meant. Not so much social justice, but mm -hmm. an activism standpoint. Right. Um, and so that is all kind of happening across campuses, across the, across the country. My own campus at UMass Amherst, the students had a blackout. Um, on the sit-in, uh, you know, demonstration on Wednesday of this week. So, um, mm. you know, I think that things are happening uh, because of what happened in, you know, Missouri. Um, I think students right. are really kind of come getting more in touch with their potential power base, uh, which we've seen historically, right. you know, across the years, most notably in the civil rights era. But this new generation with social media at their disposal, with just the way educational costs have soared, the way, again, people compare things to the past all the time and sort of point out in terms of numbers in some schools, things are not that much different in terms of administration. Um, you know, there's a lack of diversity right. there. So I think some very serious and promising things might be happening um, on the educational landscape these days. And uh, I think that just takes a that takes a front seat right now, uh, as far as I'm concerned. But as far as my academic life is concerned, everything is still kind of going, going along, still teaching games, still writing. Um, I'm up for tenure this year, so hopefully it will be a but you know it's a, it's, it's right. a struggle as much as i am you know yeah. positive and hopeful about the process it's a it's quite a process so uh you know just wow. working hard and praying that's what that's what's uh that's what's up <laughs> hopefully things will work out but other than right. that gotta make some time for some games to you know stay sane stay right. kind of curious and creative so can't wait to talk to you guys about them <laughs> all right. So, all right. Well, uh, before before we even get into games, I, I, I gotta I've gotta go veer off just a little and go into the political uh, arena for a second. Um, Trey, first, I've got two questions for both of you guys. So, so Trey, first for you, the the there has been a little bit of a scuttlebutt uh, regarding uh, the students with with uh, with uh, Mizzou and students around the country that there are people in the older generation and older generations that are saying that um, these these kids are um, entitled or or they just you know that they they're they're they they don't necessarily appreciate the power that they wield or, or don't really have an have an understanding of of context within things and, and when they should or shouldn't battle as fervently for, for, you know, for one, one issue or another. Do you kind of understand what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I do, think you, so. do you see, do you see that happening um, from your perspective or do you think since you're, you know, you're obviously right at the at ground level with them that do you, do you see something different in them? Than, um, than you that? know, I think that every generation, there's always been a generational divide when it comes to right. these kinds of things, when it comes to what activism means in a given moment, you know, there's always sure. a previous generation that will argue that they knew what they were doing or that they have models that worked. And I think that the right. current generation has to set the standard and has to decide uh, what kind of resistance they want to put together, what how they want to resist, how they want to advocate for change. And I don't think that anyone 
outside of that generation can fully understand what works best for them not to say that there can't be advice there can't be historical record there can't be hey look this is you you, you've got to make those connections across generations and you got to communicate across generations but at the end of the day i think what i'm hopeful for um as somebody who's in it but still kind of on the margins is um I'm, i'm hopeful for these students figuring out what works in this moment uh, because the social cl- the things are different. I mean, we are in a post of almost post Obama moment, right? So called post racial, right. but right. definitely to be soon to be post Obama uh, kind of historical right. moment. And um, that's brand new, right? That's that's something that is that people couldn't even have imagined, really, um, even 10, 15 years ago. So there's that. And then there is the role that technology, computers, and social media play in our daily lives. And what we've seen with Black Lives Matter, you know, what we've seen with um, the student blackouts, what we've seen with videos going viral, um, you know, these, these gross acts of violence against students. What we've seen in this moment is similar to in some ways the 60s but also so dramatically different so it makes a lot of sense to me that this generation's leaders who i do i do think this generation has leaders you know you hear that a lot (laughs) this generation doesn't have any leaders you know um and i don't believe that at all but i believe that they have to figure out what works and what makes sense given the tools that they have at their disposal the power base that they do have and if in a very plain um, way these students have economic power even though they're in a crunch as far as how much education costs these years I mean in this moment and how much people graduate just so so miserably in debt um, they're still a part yeah. of the machine they're an important part of the machine that is college education and so right there I mean as we saw uh, with the football team, you know, I mean, as you, they, they were able to mobilize because of how much economically that football team means to that whole scene, right? And so Absolutely. that's that's Absolutely. something that is an economic advantage. And I'm not saying that every school right. has that avenue, but once students realize that they're a big part of the economic structure of the educational system in this country, um, they can be listened. They will be listened to once they figure out how to use that to their advantage and stage resistance right. around that fact. Um, you know, I think we can see some amazing things. And then finally, I would say, you know, it's beyond my imagination what can actually happen and what I'm, I'm watching and learning as things are evolving and I'm cheering for them. Um, and I know that, you know, there might be some frustration where you want things to happen faster and I feel them and hear them on that. But I also feel like I can't even imagine the kinds of things this generation can do because we haven't lived it yet. I haven't seen it yet. I can't right. re- fully imagine. I can hope. Um, but I do think that they have a lot of power and they just have to figure out how to best use it in this moment. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, speak on it. Damn. What the fuck? I mean, that was that was it right there. Uh, I mean, uh, thank you for answering that, Trey. That's why Bricago, she comes on and she speaks to us. <laughs> I would say. Um, because she's, she's fucking amazing. This is your minister of style. It's hard to girl. have that, that ability to speak both directly and vaguely at the same time. <laughs> like, right, right, right. Exactly. What I exactly. Say, that was, but that I don't want to name any names in case, you know, right, somebody else right, happens to listen right. to this. But I mean, that's the gist of what I think is that there's a hmm. lot of potential there. Um, and I don't, I don't sleep on this generation's ability to really do something. 
Right. Well, you know, it's so, so I mean, exactly what you're saying, you know, in terms of the the politics of it all and and kind of speaking of politics, I, I, you know, both of you guys live in Massachusetts. Um, Quinn, have you been swept up in the Bernie Sanders Northeastern? I just rolled oh, out of bed sweepstakes. Uh, oh. you know, I, God, I've just been trying to sweep myself away from, you know, like like I look at Bernie Sanders stuff. And it's sort of like, you know, um, it, people are like, oh, well, Bernie Sanders, like, you know, he cares about issues, you, you know, he cares about all these great issues. And it was like, well, but, you know, what about me, though? And it was like, well, what about you? These will benefit you. And I'm like, whoa, like, are we talking about, are we living in the same country where, like, the GI Bill worked for everybody but black people. Right. Where, like, the New Deal hit everybody but black people. Right. Like, historically, all these great economic things have just kind of skipped over our heads. And then people were like, no, but he wants to do these things. And I'm like, well, how's he going to protect it, though? Right. And it's like, well, he's just going to do it. Well, if you just do it, the same stuff happens, you know. And it's funny, a lot of times when I tell people the history of it, Right, I'm like, so you know, hey, what about the GI Bill, right? And they're like, oh, what about the GI Bill? And it's like I explain it to them. They're like, oh, oh, like, like, like the the themes start to narrow, right, right, for 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 that. And I I still haven't, you know, it took him a lot of getting harassed and getting sort of like, and not not harassed is the wrong word, but like like people really putting pressure on him mm-hmm. to say he, he was harassed something a little. meaningful. Right. Yeah, but but you know, but but he needed to be that, and it, and it's the thing was, it's like he reacted so poorly, and it's and he's the person who's gonna fight the power, and it's like you can't the 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 Black Lives Matter people, mm-hmm. it, you know, and his followers went crazy, but the Black Lives Matter people should have been they're basically people who want to be convinced, and they just wanted him to say something relevant. They should have been easy to talk to. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't talk to them. So, like, the thought that he would all of a sudden go and have this great sweeping dialogue with the Republicans, I'm like, I don't buy it. You know, it's, right. I just I just don't buy him. All you right. Know? Well, there, there you go. There you go. Straight, I mean, from, from the regional ground zero, uh, Quinn Murphy says, Bernie Sanders, man. <laughs> What uh, what do you say, Trey? What what are your thoughts on uh on Bernie and his ability to uh to make things happen? Yeah, I mean, I really I really kind of am more cynical about um you know, mainstream bipartisan politics. And so I don't know. I mean, can I say Hillary on this channel? I mean, I'm kind of interested in curious. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah, you can yeah, you with, can you can say Hillary. Also, um, even though most people don't, well, some people don't really want more of the Clintons, I really feel it kind of disconnected from that, from the presidential elections so far, I would say in this moment. Um, right. Just just uh, in general, I'm not sure what's going to happen. It seem, I mean, with Donald Trump in the mix, it seems completely, how can you take it seriously? How We're supposed to take it seriously right. Right. and not seriously at the same time. I mean, it really, it really doesn't, it doesn't work for me, but I, I deal with outcomes. And so when we get there, it's kind of like the video game hype window or when a game is kind of hype, this right. lead up to the actual elections, I try to actually stay out mm-hmm. of and d- as disinterested as possible until we're actually dealing right. with, um, 
you know, the moment of decision making and results because it's a long right. hype train. It's a long ride to get right. there. Right. 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 Exactly. I know that I have no idea what's going to happen, also. You know, Donald right. Trump, who mm-hmm. knows? This is totally right. crazy, mm-hmm. but. If you're right. into it, you got a lot to watch and a lot to pay attention to. Yeah, I mean, you if you you were right in in putting it in video game terms because the the lead up to the election in November is similar to like the lead up to Watch Dogs or uh, the Division, basically any game by Ubisoft that's a Tom Clancy game, um, where you wind up seeing you see pieces of it. Uh, two two E threes before it actually is is scheduled to release, and it looks amazing. You don't know about it, you don't hear a lot about it, um, but what you hear sounds amazing. And then the next time you see it, a year later, there's some you know some more shit, and it looks kind of cool. And then by the time it comes out. Yeah, it's been uh, been a little banged down. It's a little derez. The story isn't as as good as you thought it was really gonna be. But just have to make a decision. Um, and uh, you know, it's funny. I, I I'm kind of treating these these uh, like the pre the prelims to actual debates uh, because these are these are like debate warm ups. Um, I'm treating them like I'm treating Star Wars trailers at this point. Look, I know I'm gonna. I, I know I'm gonna see the movie. I know I'm gonna see it. You know, I saw a trailer. I, it made me feel things, and now I don't want to see anymore. The same is the same thing with the debates. I've seen a debate on on you know from both parties, and at this point, I don't want to see anymore until it's like right before, right before the movie or in this case the election comes and then you know when we when we have finite details of who the people right. are then we can start talking about it but it won't be am, am, go ahead go ahead Quinn I'm sorry am I am I the only person who just watches the debates by hanging out on Twitter because <laughs> like I'm I'm I like like I'm a fr- like I can't watch the debates because I'm just like I'll just miss something somebody said that's cool <laughs> about the debate on Twitter I'm like I'll just watch what they said thanks right, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I mean that's it's. I think it's the preferred method of watching lots of things now. Is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And <laughs> not, shield, actually, shield my poor innocent eyes. Right, right. Well, you know, I mean, this is this is all. Everything is really fucking weird, especially on the Republican mm-hmm. side. Uh, as <laughs> oh the, as the resident as a resident Republican, you know, we got Donald Trump, you know, gyrating and and making all sorts of weird noise. Apparently, uh, Ben Carson's best friend was uh, a WWF title holder. Um, and he tried to stab him. He tried to stab him in the abdomen <laughs> with a knife, but he was wearing a championship belt and it broke. Um, so he ran away. It's like all, all that shit is crazy. All that shit is crazy. Mm-hmm. Everything is fucking crazy about the presidential election. We're we're a fucking we're a fucking cuckoo town country. We are, are run by by dodos. It's you know. Dogs and cats sleeping together, mass hysteria is fucked up. Um, but what isn't fucked up is video games right now. Hmm. Um, well, mostly. Um, but but what's great about right now in in this in this landscape uh, is the fact that there are so many. If you enjoy video games, there is a game that has been released in the last 
four weeks or so that chances are you can really sink your teeth into and enjoy. Um, there have been some great, great releases over the last few weeks, um, or or there have been some really big releases over the last few weeks, and I wonder if you guys think that they were great. Um, Quinn, what have you what have you gotten recently? What are you playing right now? Um, mm-hmm. That that is really kind of holding your fancy. Have you dipped your toe into any of the the big releases? Um, yeah, I I, uh, I played uh, got to play in the the beta for the Star Wars Battlefront. Um, that was pretty amazing. So like so the thing that amazes me about Star Wars Battlefront is so uh, I'll just be honest. I don't really care about Star Wars. Okay. Uh, it just, oh, Kyle, just Kyle loves you. I'm just I'm just ice water in the veins for it. Um, <laughs> Call of Duty. Who colder than that, right? <laughs> but somehow, somehow, if you put those two together, they're the chocolate peanut butter right. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, it was like it's awesome. Like these, like these incredibly like rendered graphics. You're like taken away. You're like in a movie in this like big like war and like fighting like uh you know walker you know huge right. at walkers and and all this like crazy stuff in it. it it just sort of you could just play it and uh even the survival mode was really fun um so i haven't picked up the full game yet right uh but i'm planning on it uh for games that i'm actually playing i actually picked up uh by need of isaac rebirth i'd nice. never played it before okay and i heard lots of cool, cool stuff about it um i have a couple friends who really really love it so, so I broke down and got it. That game is so crazy. That game is so crazy, but it's really fun. Um, and uh, I just picked up the extended Dream edition of Abyss Odyssey. Oh, okay. And that's like another roguelike game. Is uh, uh, I think the directors are the uh, uh, development companies from uh, Chile. And uh, if, if I'm remembering it correctly, and so a lot of the stuff is from sort of Chilean lore. Nice and things, and it's this beautiful game, uh, beautiful roguelike. It's really uh, fun. It's sort of like uh, a little bit of platforming, a lot of like crazy combat and stuff like that. Uh, that one's really fun too. And uh, then uh, I have to mention uh, the game that I'm playing the most these days is Armello. Hmm. Armello, that game is incredible. It's it's like the best digital board game I've ever played. Wow, wow. Uh, um, What's the premise? Of it, have you have you? Um, it, it's so uh, it's it's this sort of anthropomorphic fantasy thing, and uh, the the premise is uh, that there's this king, it's a, the a lion king, and he's succumbed to this corrupting force called the rot. And the rot is uh, killing him, but it's also driving him crazy. And he's making these crazy decrees, and he's driving the kingdom to ruin. And so you play the uh, one of the leaders from these animal clans. Um, who has to? Uh, who's decided? Okay, I have to stop him. And then there are like four or five different ways to win, um, and to sort of to become leader. And so, you, uh, uh, and it's a multiplayer thing. You can play against AI or you can play against people. And then you're all trying to sort of move around the board, quest, uh, and sort of make your way uh, into the palace uh, while earning prestige and stuff to take over from the, uh, sort of corrupt Lion King. It's the, the storytelling and the pace of play is just, is just excellent. It's really good. Oh, okay. Now what is that available on? 
I think that's available on just about everything. I know it's available on PS4. I'm pretty sure, um, because uh, I've been telling, I've been talking about it nonstop. Um, so, so I've made at least like a few people buy it. Um, uh, I and I, I am pretty sure it's on PC and 362, or not oh, 360. Um, Xbox, Xbox One. One. Yeah. Nice, nice. Uh, so Trey, what what have you been playing? Okay, so my list of things I've been playing is pretty short, um, but these are two time-consuming right. RPGs, I would call them. Um, so the first <laughs> is NBA 2K16, and uh, I, I yes. call that an RPG, <laughs> a time-consuming RPG, because of... It is. You can, you can, there you go. No, 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 no explanation necessary. It is RPG. Right. Let's call it what it is. And I've been playing in my career mode right. because I had to watch the Skype. And I say watch the Spike Lee movie because mostly that's what I right. did. Um, you know, played a little bit around it, so I had to get it for that reason. And I'm writing about it as for an article, so I'm playing from that standpoint. Okay. And then um, quickly, quickly, your thoughts on on the. Uh, the story. Okay. What was that? What was it called? Well, the, since the you had to, to ask. <laughs> um, right. right. Yeah, Living the Dream. Isn't that what's called? Living the Dream? Living the Dream. That's what it was called. Um, yeah. I thought it was some of the best dialogue. From a dialogue standpoint, there were moments where I was like, yeah. oh, okay, a real director did this. I loved all the right. um, behind the scenes, in front of the camera stuff. Um, yeah. I like the style, the visual style of it, where he's right. sort of interviewing people in the different segments, you know, as the story goes on. Right. Um, and again, the dialogue was fantastic. I thought the story itself was a family melodrama, which has its flaws. It had some significant flaws, I thought, just in terms of like, I mean, if it was just if it was a movie, it wouldn't be. I don't think it would be a very captivating movie. But in a game, the world that it was playing in the game really kind of worked. Um, and it's okay that it was melodrama because I write about melodramas anyway, and I understand the conventions of melodramas, and I kind of know why that storyline was there. Um, so, right. I mean, I think overall, it's great that it was there. I love some things that it forced into the game, like that you had to have a black family. Um, and so one of the things that right. I'm writing right. about there is this default blackness that is there at the heart of the game is you can't get away oh, from man. that story and that family. No matter what color, you know, what race or ethnicity you want right. your character to be, you will have a black middle class family, oh, oh, you, may, you know, working class family. And so... That was awesome. I uh, I I I just want to let you know that I'm also writing an article for Hit the Pass about that exact same. Thing. Good for you. Yeah. So. yeah. Mm-hmm. Good for you. So I'll cite you because in the academic world, everything comes out way late. So your your article comes right. out way sooner than mine, and I'll just cite you on it because I'm sure you're going to say, um, you know, just really helpful things. So. Um, so there's that. And then just the game as a whole, you know, after the story, after that part of the story was gone, um, then you have to build your player. And for some reason, I mean, because the controls changed, I didn't play last year's version of NBA 2K. I, I skipped it because okay. I didn't like the whole play in the D-League, not the D-League, but play on those short-term contracts. I didn't like the, the, right. the that aspect of it. And so I wanted to wait, mm-hmm. and I waited, and I had to learn the controls, and I felt like the learning curve for me this year was just a lot harsher to get 
get my my player to be good and to have him impact games, sure. it just really took a while. It's taken a while, and so I'm in my third season, right. and I'm a scrub. I mean, but I like I like the fact that it's taken me a long time to have some proficiency and really affect games. I started out with the Knicks in my second season, and I just have to say, nice. you know, it was a dreadful decision. It was a horrible team to choose. I was like, oh, the home team. You know, he's gonna stay home. He's gonna right. play with the Knicks, and the Knicks, the, right. the game does not respect the Knicks in any way, shape, or form. So, for example, I, am playing, I was playing my home team, you know, with this team. Carmelo never, ever made a shot. Every shot he took in the game right. rimmed out, just never. He shot air ball. It was horrible. Carmelo was hor- is horrible with me on the court. He was always awful. And then nobody rebounded. They couldn't do anything. The AI for the Knicks, maybe mm. people will say this is representative of where they are. But it was a brutal second year. So I ended up simming a lot of those games just because it wasn't fun to play then. And then finally, I de- once he got better, I demanded a trade. Now I play with the Bucks, And I'm just I'm just impressed by how well that young talent, the AI, they respected that young talent with the Bucks, And so they rebound. I, I run screens. They do their part. I mean, it's amazing. So um, anyway, that's, that's where I am with my career. And then my wife is actually playing my GM mode. And so um, nice. I have no patience for the sim aspect of, of my GM mode. So, you know, coming up uh-huh. with the concession prices and the fan days and all the stuff that you could do in my GM. I don't have any patience for that. I just want the teams to win. So we've taken over the 76ers <laughs> and are trying to get them to win. And she's making all the business decisions. And then I'm playing on the court. And so between those two modes, I mean, they're very RPG, RPG and sim. And so right. uh, that's taking right. a lot of time and I'm enjoying it tremendously. Um, it's just good, clean fun. I can know I can pick up that game for a half hour or an hour and play something and just it's soothing. It's uh, procedurally, right. you know, comforting to play. Um, then I'm playing Fallout, which is a completely opposite experience. Uh, Fallout 4 <laughs> is definitely an RPG, and I'm not sure that I'm having fun in it yet. I mean, I'm, I'm only about huh. 10 to 12 hours in, I would say. Um, right. But there's just, I mean, first of all, the aesthetic of dystopian. I write about dystopian world, so I get it. I understand it. But there's something so palpably depressive about it that that part is not instantly enjoyable to me um and then there were two things that have interfered with my role-playing ability because in rpgs like this i like to come up with a whole creative story for the character you know she's got i have a vision of how i want to play her and what i loved about fallout 3 is that it mostly let me do that even though i don't remember being able to have romance romantic options in fallout 3 at least i didn't but in my mind i did there was one companion Mm -hmm. that you could get i think her name was uh star paddling something like that but it was a black woman yeah 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 it was a black woman in fallout 3 so go back with me for just a second because that was one of the best (laughs) moments in games i've ever had where i had this black woman created character that i made and she is companions with this other black woman character in the game and we walked the Mm. wasteland and the wasteland is so depressive it's so lonely they do a great job capturing that world but for me as an extrovert i needed that companion so i had this whole story about these two black women who were out there doing their thing so in fallout 4 i kind of envision i mean that's been a long-held attachment of playing that series in that way 
Um, and then this right, time around, years ago. I was like, I'm going to get to do it again. I'm going to a black woman in the wasteland. We're going to wreck some havoc. And I found that you can have romance options. I mean, it was like, this is all promising. Right. But A, number one, they start the game off and you have to be an opposite gender couple. You're locked into that decision. Right. Even though you can change the, you, you can customize the look of these two different characters, either male or female in the beginning, you will have a husband or you will have a wife, you know? And so for right. my character to be a black woman in that scene in the beginning and she's gay i mean no, she's gay she gotta be me come on and so she has to have a husband right. so it's okay i didn't even know you could change him so i got this white husband and i'm like okay this part is breaking <laughs> uh, already it's, it's, a, it's messing with me already a biracial right and, a biracial and when, baby and the great thing is they skin match the baby to my character so the baby is chocolate and right. then there's no way these two people i mean it's not it's not, it's not biologically impossible but it's unlikely but, that this child right. would fit his. so there's this chocolate baby and i was like okay i can gravitate toward that but just at least just to put it you know mildly the, that force to have a straight couple in the beginning is okay and i could see it if it was the 50s but it's not even the 50s anymore it's 2077 2077 or something like that it's the retro future right. so it just made no sense to me right. that i had to have this you know straight couple to start out with luckily i don't want to spoil it for your other listeners but luckily that doesn't stay a big problem for me um in like five minutes <laughs> it didn't that kind of that part right, went right. away <laughs> but the other tragedy is from an identity standpoint that i had to do with is the fact that there are no people of color female people of color companions so there's so as far as i can tell from the list of that i've seen and from who i've already met um i'm not going to be able to have that female companion person of color companion no latina no black woman Mm. you know i'm going to have to choose the romance options especially are all i think white women and one robot who looks like a white woman like Okay, I mean, that (laughs) doesn't excite me from a storytelling standpoint just because of the story I want to tell. And so I feel like in an open world RPG like this, you have to be able to have a backstory. You have to be able to create something that motivates you because the story is so sprawling and branchy. And, you know, that's not going to do it for you. It's your experiences in there. So I love to play in this imaginative space. And though I love there's a lot of potential there. The bones are good. The bones are good. Um, so far, right. I'm not happy about those scripted decisions. Those that sort of locked inness of it. And I know, but does it doesn't? I mean, they don't. They don't have to do it this way. They're open and progressive in so many other ways with their character design and choices. That that's just one that stood out for me and messed up my game. It messed up me and right. my experience. And so I'm still playing it. But that's there. And then there's just the issue of. I mean, it's a hard world. It's a hard game. And so to be a relatively busy person who only has a segment of each night to play games, if that, um, you know, to get your butt kicked every time you open a door, you go into something. It's a hard (laughs) game. It's a hard world. It's a hard game. The menu system is clunky. I mean, I'm not 100% sure I'm loving it yet, but I'm only 10 to 12 hours in it. And I'm going to play it. I mean, I'm going to play it for I give games like this 100 hours so i'm sure i'll be in for 100 and then i'll walk away if i'm not liking it um so well that's that my my, my wife that's, on the other hand that. does love settlement building so actually right now as i okay. speak she's building 
one of the settlements up because I just can't stand it. I don't got no patience because it's like they took the Sims, the Sims 4, and I'm a Sims player and I love building in the Sims, like the Sims 3 especially, the Sims 2. But this is like the Sims 4, which is kind of a wonky building system. And then they put that in the game. And I get why it's there and it does add depth and dimension to it. But I'm just not the one. I'm not the one moving these ugly pieces around trying to make beauty out of just disaster. I am not the one. This, they, they don't even get paint on the, the board. Like, I can't visualize it enough. And I don't like the system enough to kind of really fight it out. But it's great because it's couple time for us to, you know, for her to settle and build and then for me to just go get my butt kicked opening doors and walking into, you know, other broke down cities. So that's our experience. Well, well, what? Yeah. I mean, what what you've shown is the brilliance of both Bethesda and 2K (laughs) um, in the the fact that, that you you have been able to play. You have two single player games that you're playing co-op. Yeah. You know, and in or you know, obviously NBA two K can be played right. with, you know, multiple people cooperatively or competitively, but the modes that you're playing specifically are single player yes, modes are. that you guys have found to you have maximized by playing co op. You have maximized your fun. Now I I wanna ask you if you think that this the the lack of a person of color uh, a person of color companion do you think that was an oversight or was that something that was intentionally done um, on, uh, by you know, I have no or, idea or I don't know I think that right. it's a weird decision I mean because basically they do have a lot of diversity someone said this on Twitter when I discovered this I was devastated so I, of course I went to Twitter and was like wait there's no female of color companion in the game this is a deal this is a game breaker for me um because of the story i want to tell the the woman i want to create is just not possible and um but then somebody else pointed out but there's a lot of diversity in this game and that's true from character module standpoint you know you one of the first people you meet is preston is a black man and i wish my character was a straight woman you know i think you can romance him and she was a straight black woman we'd be all good but I just think to have a, a lockdown on what femininity looks like as far as the romance options are concerned, there's mm. no diversity. They're all dark-haired white women. And so, like, I mean, that's not even... I don't know why you have to have three of the same similar pro, pro like profile of what they look like. Their personalities are very different. And at least so far, I'm not finding them annoying. But I don't want to romance any. I mean, they're just not, they don't work for me. It, again, from a storytelling, role-playing standpoint, I need more options as far as the female companions are concerned. And so um, I don't know if it's an oversight. I don't think it's. I don't think it was on purpose or anything. I just think that this is this one of those things where there's a cultural literacy. They're aware of it. They have progressive games in so many other ways. Like you can be gay, you know, in this game. Again, they did mix in a lot of different character modules of other ethnicities and races. So I think they're trying. And I just think that this is one of those little right. things where it breaks it for me, but it won't break it for many other players who are, you know, diverse or or black or who are whatever. It's quirky in a way um, that I want to play it this way. But at the same time, there's just no, it just makes no other sense to me to have the same woman. All of your female non you know NPCs that you can have as companions are like the same woman in terms of looks you know I just don't understand that part but right 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 yeah. you know it's it's interesting because it reminds me um actually uh the way you're you're talking about this um I played uh the Elder Scrolls uh 
um, MMO, uh, the Elder Scrolls mm-hmm. Online. Mm-hmm. Um, and normally I don't like MMOs, but I really like the storytelling that they did. They have, they have like a whole section of the world that's full of black oh, people. Oh yeah, are they the uh, the red guard? Right, like 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 the, like the red, red guard. guard. Right, I like love the red like guard. you can like you can. <laughs> yes. You can go to their. Yes. You can like it's not just like it's not like a normal fantasy right. stuff of like oh yeah I mean, black character oh look there's a black character where's he from don't know they just <laughs> happen to like materialize somehow in the middle of sort of like Europa right like you know but hey we have them you know isn't that count for like no there's like actually like a you know like when somebody goes hey where did that black guy come from oh he came from the land of the red guard <laughs> yeah. which is over there right yeah. and you can actually go to it and you can travel through it and you can have adventures there and they have history and i was like i mean i i, I i'll just admit it. i there was a point i almost just broke down i was just like this is yeah. beautiful right? right but then but then here's the trick and and i think this is talks deals with your companion mm-hmm. issue is so you have this like actual diversity but then you get to this like point in the end game content and I won't sort of spoil that but like they have like people drawn from all over the place but like the place like no red guard <laughs> sort of to like like wow. at, at the at the end to at the end of the, at the end we're fighting for the fate of the world is basically just all white people yeah. right <laughs> and, and and like you know elves and stuff right and it's just like damn yeah. right like you know and it, and it's like that like it. right yeah like you were we were like almost here you know and it was right and it's there. funny it's the pain you only feel because they were doing so, so well. good yeah. right you're yeah. like oh it's so great and right. then you're like hey wait wait what do you mean i can't have a character of significance who's a person of color right, right. like you know like ouch Right, like now that actually really hurts. Like if you just weren't gonna give me any people of color, well, I just go okay. I'd either not play it or just go okay. This is just how it yeah. goes. Right. Uh, but but you gave me enough to make me miss this. Yeah. I mean. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And I think in the company of other, because of what they can do. I mean, they can cover. They can skin tone match the baby. And I know that Bethesda does that. Like right. I remember Fallout Three. They Liam Neeson was your father no matter what. But they changed his skin color based on whatever your character mm-hmm. looked like. You know, so they can do these things and they've shown that they can do these things and then they don't there's just this one area where it's like, this is so weird, why are all the female companions the same person? You know, with just different different personalities but the same look. And uh I remember, you know, they do they did that in Skyrim. I had to marry a dark elf. I was a black red guard, but you couldn't romance I don't think you could marry the other one red guard woman in the game. You couldn't marry her. So I had to marry a dark elf. You know, that was the concession we make in the fantasy world. <laughs> is I had to just get right. past that and uh. marry that you know, really weird skinned looking elf because I just had to deal with that's what I had in the game. And so, I mean, it's kind of like that with with Fallout. I was devastated, guys. I'm not gonna. I mean, I'm I'm putting it out there. I was I was I came home mm-hmm. early. I was like, oh, I'm gonna get to play Fallout. It's brutal, but I'm gonna play it for you know a chunk of time here. And then I was like, ooh, I wonder, you know, where can I find my girl? Where is she? You know, I just I know she must exist. There must be someone out there who can be my companion who I'm gonna like. 
And then I look online and I'm like, wait a minute, those I don't want to go find these people. I don't even care. And right. so I'm like rolling with Piper, who's um, you know, the journalist, which I think will tie in nicely to later conversation. But I'm I'm rolling with her just kind of by default. But it's like, oh man, you're killing me. My I got this loveless life out here in the wasteland. I'm gonna be celibate. You're gonna have to have interracial love. It's the, I already was forced to be straight for a moment and had this baby. You know, I was right. in a loveless marriage, and now I'm in a loveless apocalypse. I'm walking around right. in the wasteland, and I got no hope for love in this moment. That's that's where I am. T- you- Ten to twelve hours in, I'm in a I'm in a loveless <laughs> apocalypse, and so it's rough. It's kind of brutal to be out there. I'm not excited about building settlements. Like, okay, whatever, you know, build the rebuild the world. Right. Go ahead. I had to be a loveless black woman in you know 2027, 20, 2277. So, I'm a loveless black woman. So, right. Damn, all over again. So, so uh, I, I, I let me let me get this one out of the way first. Um, I have Fallout. I haven't really played Fallout yet um, because just like what what Trey just said, um, you can spend two hours playing playing uh, Fallout and and not have accomplished anything, not have accomplished (laughs) anything. And, Mm. you know, I mean, the fact is you've put 12 hours into a game that you say that you haven't even really played yet. Like, you you know, that you you fully intend to put 100 hours into the game before you know if you like it or not. Christmas break. And um, I planned on playing Christmas break. And I know that 100 hours is where I reach my cap. And if I'm not done with the game in 100 hours, I never go back. But I'll give it that, Mm. you know, but. Right. Right. So so I so I haven't I haven't quite gotten into Fallout. Um you know, I, I know the character creator and that kind of stuff and that but that's that's about it. Uh and I am kind of waiting out to see, you know, that first big update where they fix a lot of the bugs that they've got, uh, because you know, those those games kind of roll out with those. But in the meantime I've got plenty of other games to play. Um, let's talk about let's talk about some of the games that have released uh, in the last few weeks that we really haven't spotlighted here on the show, uh, really, really at all. Uh, Assassin's Creed uh, Unity uh, is, is it not Unity. It's not Unity. Syndicate. Unity was last year's Assassin's Creed Syndicate uh, release got really got great reviews. Obviously, I haven't played it because I can't even. I don't even know what the name of the damn game is. Um, but uh, you know, so Assassin's Creed Syndic- Syndicate released, Halo Five released the week after that. Uh, you know, WWE Two K, which I didn't get. Halo Five, I do have. Uh, Call of Duty Black Ops Three released. Um, which I don't have, and then you know Fallout Four release, which I do have, Tomb Raider, and and now of course Star Wars Battlefront has has just released, and we still have a few more games, Just Cause Three, and uh, Rainbow Six Siege, uh, still to to release um, before Christmas um, hits. So we still have a lot of you know a lot of games. Like I said, you know any if there's a, a type of genre that you like and you you know you consider yourself a, a console or, or a PC gamer, there will have been a triple A release uh, to fit your genre. Uh, in the same, I will say, Trey, in the same ten or twelve hours that you've been playing uh, Fallout, you could have all but completed. 
uh, Tomb Raider, Tomb Raider, Rise of the Tomb Raider story. And Rise of the Tomb Raider is phenomenal. Um, I I was saying this earlier. uh, for, For those of you who have an Xbox One, I know that the game that... You know, Microsoft says if you you know if you're gonna buy one game this summer, you know, or buy one game this holiday season, have it be Halo Five. Um, really, I think that they should be changing that, changing that that marketing speak to Rise of the Tomb Raider. Rise of the Tomb Raider is probably the best game that almost no one will play this winter. Right. Um, it it is it is. Very, very good. If you have an Xbox One, get yourself Rise of the Tomb Raider. But what, what, what do you like about it? Like what's so, so, the best so, part of it? Yeah, so the so uh, there was the Tomb Raider game that released on the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3 a couple of years ago. It was re-released last January, I believe it was, the definitive edition on the current-gen consoles. Um, if you played that, you realize that that game was... Um, Somewhat like the Tomb Raiders that we know all know and love from from our youths, from our youth times, um, but but also had a lot of the uncharted uh, quick time events and that same kind of serial action adventure uh, aspect to it. Um, and it was definitely more of a murder simulator in the vein of Uncharted uh, than it was, you know, Tomb Raider esque. And and, you know, for what it was, it was very, very good. And and in fact, was better than the first Uncharted and the third Uncharted. Maybe not as, you know, as good as the second Uncharted. That was a great story and all that other stuff. But a really great Uncharted game was was this tomb was this Tomb Raider game. This Tomb Raider game, Rise of the Tomb Raider, is Tomb Raider the way that we all know and love Tomb Raider brought to its logical evolution. Um, they took lots of things that worked from uh, Tomb Raider and brought those over. So they brought the the tomb exploration over. They brought the gunplay over, but they really calmed down the level of enemies. So you're not you know you're not just fighting wave after wave after wave of wave of enemies, um, but and you're getting the chance to explore tombs. Um, one of the things that I've heard people say, and it's is very very true is that this game the first game rushed you rushed you through the story this game allows you to play at your pace once you clear an area you can go through and there'll be things to collect pieces of wood that will allow you to craft more bows or um, animals in the area that you can hunt to skin their pelts for, you know, different crafts and stuff like that. Tombs to explore. There are all of these different things that you can do once you're, you know, once you've cleared an area and then the story will, com- you know, will completely wait until you're ready to move on to the next bit of the story. Uh, so, and it, you know, and it within the confines of the story, within the context of the story, it makes sense. You know, there isn't some kind of rush to you're not racing somebody to a thing that you, you know, that where it's there's this, you know, complete false sense of urgency that all games kind of seem to to put out there uh, within their narrative. This this game was really good about saying, hey, you're out here, you're doing this stuff. You're going to try and find this thing. You know, you need to figure this thing out. 
and you you go and you try and figure the thing out. So um, that part is great. It looks phenomenal. The the voice acting is is really really well done. Um, it's just it's just a lot of fun, and it just works really really well. Yeah, I I thought about I mean, that's definitely the next game that I'm going to get uh, to play, and I do have an Xbox One, which just is collecting dust because I don't play <laughs> anything on it. So maybe this will give me some kind of attachment to that system or some interest in the system. Um, but it looked it looks great. I mean, I've seen people play it a little, and I thought it it reminded me a lot of Uncharted, of course, but also of The Last of Us for some reason, like the tightness of right. its world. Um, yes. And yes. visually, I mean, it looks gorgeous, and so I definitely thought and I thought it was a shorter game, and it seemed it seems way more satisfying in terms of just getting that gratification um, than Fallout right. Four, which I think you have to put a lot of time in to feel some kind of payoff. Um, but Tomb Raider looked mm-hmm. like I could enjoy that in an evening, you know, a, a couple of nights in a row. We could really get into that and like it and enjoy the story because there is, you know, a story that's evolving before you. So, right, that's, right, that's next up, right. for sure. All right, right on, right on, yeah, and, and you know, and definitely give you a reason to to pull that Xbox One out. Um, so yeah, so I'm playing those. Uh, I'm playing that and. Uh, and I'm also playing Star Wars Battlefront, and and I, I've got to say, um, we play. We talked about really quickly when the beta released. We talked about the beta, and everyone had very very positive things to say about the beta on the show. Uh, and after the show, and you know, in the weeks that that uh, you know that preceded it, I just didn't feel like that Battlefront. You know, it just didn't feel compelling. Like I wasn't missing the fact that I was I, that I hadn't played it. And then I got to play it again via EA Access, and it's Star Wars, and that's like it, that's either a pejorative or a compliment based on you know your perspective. You feel like you're in that universe. Everything sounds you know, and obviously it's supposed to the, the, got, fidel- you know, the fidelity of that game is incredible. Yes, yes, exactly. And that and that's that's a great way to put it and it's fun. Um the question the question will remain you know, how long are its legs? Uh will people be playing it in in February March? Um you know, once the the Star Wars hype train has kind of slowed slowed to a to a crawl, um will people still be having fun with it? I think that what they've done with the game, the game modes that are there that are really, really, really fun. Um, the variety of uh, weapons and skins and all that other stuff that they have is is really cool. There's another thing that they added that's that's super just it's cute and fun and it gives you a reason to go back is there's a as part of the collectibles, there's a diorama. This basically like Endor playset of different um, weapons, vehicles, and characters that you unlock as you unlock different things. You get a certain level. You you know you hit certain milestones. You know number of heads, certain number of headshots, uh, whatever whatever the case may be, and you unlock each particular piece for this diorama. So they've got like Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, Han Solo. Uh, 
and uh, Leia, but then they also have like a stormtrooper. They have an ATAT. They've got a land speeder. All these different things. And when you unlock one of them and you press the button, there is an animation with it. So you you know so you want to collect this entire diorama so you can see how it all interacts with each other, which is which I think is really cool. But um, you know it's a cute thing. It's not necessarily something that will absolutely keep you you know, totally engaged the entire time. So, um, but, but it's, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. And if you're a star Wars fan, you'll really feel, you know, more so than you've ever felt before. I believe really feel like you're part of the star Wars universe, um, Mm. playing, playing that game before we go off to our break. I want to ask you guys, you know, the holiday is coming, um, as people listen to this, they'll be getting ready for uh, the great feast that is that is Thanksgiving, and then getting ready for African American Friday. And you're gonna you're gonna be <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna be ready. I see, I see what you did there. Yeah, well played, well played. Aha, aha. So, um, <laughs> what 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 we're what we're doing here is you know what happens typically is we all get together with family. Um, we're sitting around and people will talk to you about, uh, you know, your, your uncle, your uncle Joe is going to say, or your, your aunt, uh, your aunt Roberta is going to talk about you. Yeah. Don't you play, you play them, them video games. You play that Tendo and the playstations and the Xboxes. Well, you know, little Jimmy wants, wants one of those. What should I get him? And, you know, so I, if, if you're posed with that question, um, Let's say you've got a a f- family member with a nine or ten year old or a twelve year old. Let's say twelve year old kid, and it's time for them to upgrade to a console or or get something for this this holiday season. What would you, what would you tell them to get, Quinn? Um, if you've got a young kid, um, you know, uh, Wii U's perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, the Wii U has um like games that are you know my 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 son's like four years old and he's like you know oh my god like he looks at my wii u games like more than more than my ps4 games um you know my ps4 games he's just like what's that daddy and i'm I'm like "Uh, i don't know i can't even explain it to you um but the wii u game sort of uh you know uh just just the way that they sort of the aesthetic of sort of uh that of nintendo games kind of is is such that they have this sort of appeal for young kids and, and they have a lot of great games um you know and they have and some of them are sort of kitty games and like your mario and stuff like that but some of them are just really good like splatoon right is amazing right you can't front on that um uh monster hunter uh is also super amazing um it's a little older but it's not, there's nothing like you know, incredibly mature about it. Like younger kids could play that too. Right. Um, I think I think that's a really really good one for younger kids. Nice, nice. Now, if you had a slightly older teenage teenage age, what what would you tell them to get? Any any specific games or a specific console or something like that? Did you say um, uh, older? Uh, I, I'm a I'm a PS4 uh, nice. fanboy. Like I I, I got I kind of got it. Uh, because you know, I, I wanted to get Mortal Kombat X, um, and uh, then I found out that Street Fighter Five was going to be a PS4 exclusive. 
So it's like, okay, fine. Uh, and I was just gonna play. I was just gonna, I was just gonna play my fighting games and just be done with it. I wasn't really like excited about it. And now I have like a full hard drive. I'm like, huh, I'm gonna have to get a new hard. Like I've just bought so many games for it. Like so so here here's how obsessed I am with the PS4. I just got. Uh, apparently, I didn't even know this. I wasn't following it. Uh, Sony had a. Uh, spend a hundred bucks in the last month and get a fifteen dollar credit thing. So I just got a fifteen dollar credit because they're like, "Thanks for spending so much money," and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> well, well, thank you." <laughs> like, <laughs> um, they've just got a, they've just got a great library, um, you know, and and you could just uh, you know if you're if you're older, uh, tons of stuff to hit your tape, uh, you know, and if you get a little older, um, so you can, uh, actually sort of deal with the, you know, rating of the game, right. Bloodborne is just the thing. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so if masochism is your thing, go and get yourself a, a PS4 and Bloodborne. <laughs> uh, Trey, Trey, what are you, what's, uh, what would you, what are you telling your, your, your aunts and everything when you go back to, to, to Cali, yeah. um, you tell your fam what you know what you're gonna what they're gonna get mm-hmm. what what are you what are you telling them I think in this moment I would veer away from some of the mainstream titles and I would tell them um to try never alone and uh, I played that yes. on their nice. spawn for good stream way back when well, my partner and I played yeah. it and we never finished it we got only so far and then we we never finished it but then recently like last weekend we finished it and so I've been also playing it in my cl- one of my classes uh, I wanted the students nice. to have a co-op game experience and so they're playing it we're playing kind of like live in the class and we're trying to finish it we play a little bit each class we're trying to finish it before the semester's right. over it's not very long but it's a gorgeous game you have those yeah. documentary clips in there um, yes. throughout so you basically have a film another game with a film you know in it I mean obviously there are right. lots of games that have uh, cinematics but this is a documentary film kind of spliced in the game and so right. um, I would say Never Alone for sure it's a beautiful kind of game that you could play I could see a family kind of sitting, sitting around playing this game um, and then I would say Look into the Steam machine. Now, I know it's gotten a lot of bad press, mainly because of the price range, and I think because um, Steam is... The regular PC games are kind of locked out of some of the versions of the Steam machine, which is just something that... Don't buy that version. There's other versions that allow you to play the PC version of the game plus the Steam version of the game, too, so that you can have a bigger library. But I think that there's... I think the Steam Machine is promising only for this reason. Um, as that price falls a little bit because of more competition, not everybody is going to have a game, a gaming PC. And I see people trying to play games on their laptops all the time, and it just doesn't work as right. well, and they're tapping it out. <laughs> I blew out a motherboard of one of my other old laptops trying to play games on it. And I think the portability factor, the fact that you can have it right there with the rest of your stuff in your entertainment system works. And at least for me with teaching, um, I take PlayStation 4. I have a travel PlayStation 4 that I take to class with me in a carry case. And when when I want to play and teach PC games, I just can't load up that game on a given system or try to run it on existing laptops like they that never works so being able to have a portable pc 
for gaming, um, even if the price range is right. outrageous right now, and I don't think that all versions of the Steam machine are created equal, is definitely something to look out for. So I wouldn't necessarily encourage my family to buy it yet, but I would say look out for it. Um, for those of you who are not going to build your own gaming rig, I mean, that's not realistic for most of the world. And, um, you know, those of you who want to be able to have PC games on a go, but you can't use your laptop, you've got like a bargain laptop or you're mostly using it for word processing, you just don't have the graphics, you know, uh, capability or RAM to run that, then I think it's worth looking at, I think, uh, even though I can acknowledge some of the obvious flaws with it. Uh, it works at least in that concept. So for me, I would say Never Alone. Um, Sunset, which I missed and haven't played, but I'm promoting still. Um, Tell of Tales, you know, just that's just like a horrible story about them kind of going out on Sunset. Um, and I would say Broken Age and Gone Home. So there's like a four pack mm -hmm. of those kind of smaller indie games that I think you don't actually need the Steam Machine to play those. You could probably play them on most laptops uh, as is. But those would be the, that's on my radar of those games I recommend. Right. And then the Steam Machine as something to look into if you need your games to be portable or you just don't want to deal with streaming your PC and your house to your computer. Like it's a complicated entertainment system setup as it is with all these gaming consoles. So, um, right. those are my thoughts. I'm hopeful and I'll probably get one, but mostly for teaching purposes. And so I'll be the guinea pig and let, let everybody else know if I'm happy with it. <laughs> so we're going to go into our music break. We're going to let you guys listen to it right about now. a lot but I'm cool like that 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 I'm cool Queen be the chocolates tats on my raps she innovates after sweet and cat naps he at the funk club with the vibrate then they be crazy down with the vibe it can't kick a plan then a crowd burst me I be digging it with the bug first us we be freaking till dawn peace and I he gets a stranger smile so I say hi who understood, yeah, understood the plans Hit her to beat and put it to his hands What I just flip, let borders get loose How to consume all the beaches like juice If it's the shit, we'll lift it off the plastic The babes will go spastic, hip-hop is a classic Pimp play a shop, it don't matter I'm fatter, ask butter how I zone Man, Cleopatra Jones And I'm chill like that 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 
Welcome back to the Spawn on Me podcast. This is episode 86. We are with our two newest minted ministers. We've got our minister of security, Quinn Murphy, and our minister of style, Dr. Trey Andrea Russworm. And I hope you enjoyed that music break. Of course you did. That was a classic, The Diggable Planets, with Rebirth of Slick. Cool like that. Um, yeah, so so before we were talking about games and politics and holidays and all that other stuff. Um, but now, you know, we're going to talk about something that uh, kind of Kotaku, uh, you know, uh, definitely friends of the show. We've got uh, a lot of people over there uh, that we're connected to that uh, Bricago knows well. Um, you know, shout out to Evan Narcisse. Shout out to Patrick Klepik. Um, they they kind of broke the Internet um, over the last couple of days. Again, you know, we're recording today on Friday as opposed to the normal Thursday. But Thursday they put out an article, or Stephen Totillo, the EIC editor-in-chief of Kotaku, uh, put out an article he called The Price of Games Journalism. And in this article, if you haven't read it already, uh, he talks about how, he talks openly and candidly about how uh, Kotaku has been blacklisted completely by Bethesda and is on a uh, sort of timeout with uh, Ubisoft. And what that means for them is that they're not getting, they're not being invited to events that these guys are holding. Um, and they're not also uh, not giving them early access to review review copies of games and it doesn't mean all of the time and especially in the case of Ubisoft according to the article uh, but in the case of Bethesda it definitely means pretty much all the time they're not getting so like you know Fallout 4 they're not getting they didn't get a review copy of Fallout 4 so they had to wait to put out their review and, and the little secrets and hints and walkthroughs that they you know that they post from time to time uh, they had to wait until the game was actually released to uh, to release release that kind of info, which is, you know, days after some of the other bigger sites, um, gaming sites have to do that because they have to get early access to the game. Um, and in Tutillo's article, he really he really kind of articulates um, basically what he believes they as Kotaku did to. Um, raise the ire of uh, two of the biggest publishers in in the gaming in the gaming space, and what it means for them, and and kind of why they raise the ire of of them, and you know why they feel okay with what they've done, um, and the way he spins it in the article, he says. Uh, he basically is saying that their job as you know as uh, journalists, uh, not even just games journalists, but as journalists in general, is to serve the reader, and that means if they get a piece of news uh, that is newsworthy, they're going to post it, and and it doesn't matter if the publisher of the game doesn't isn't interested in them 
releasing that information at that particular moment, you know, um, several times in the case of Fallout specifically, uh, both Fallout 3 and Fallout 4, they released, they leaked news that the game was either coming out or, uh, you know, certain character information that Bethesda was, was none too happy with the fact that they released that stuff. Uh, and as a result, uh, Bethesda said, okay, well, when we have events, you know, since you, since you get your information before everyone anyway, you don't need to come to this event to, uh, to, to view the, the information. And um, lots of people felt very it, uh, the responses that I've heard on on Twitter and social media um, all over the Internet have have really varied. And, and um, I really wanted to to talk about this. And I kind of wanted to ask you guys what you thought, what your thoughts were. Um, Trey, I'll, I'll go to you first as the academic. Um, what are your thoughts on both the article, what it means, and uh, you know where where do you s- sit sit on on this on this particular issue? I mean, this is such a huge branching topic with so many threads right. um, that right. I mean, I'll just take a slice of it because I think it connects to Gamergate. It connects with discussions people were having about Gamergate and games journalism that were so called at the heart of Gamergate, but it really wasn't. And so it's like, there's that. And then um, there's just, uh, there's just the way information is handled and processed in this, in this moment, you know, with computers kind of at the center of our lives and the 24 hour news cycle and just the unique place that journalists are in and trying to get a story and maintain a story and a readership online. So there's all that stuff right. as well as game companies and their PR departments and their marketing plans and what they need and what they want to happen. Um, there's all of that, but I would say the small slice of it right. that I feel like I can just chime in on. Um, it just has to do with this question of um, what, kind of is this issue of retribution and like news coverage so the the idea that kind of stands (laughs) out to me and kind of is makes my skin just kind of prickle a little bit is this idea that as the company or as any entity but let's just say let's stay with the company but as the ubisoft in this case um you can tell the press what they can and cannot do what they can and cannot report on what they can and cannot do and when they don't follow the story or report the story the way you want to there are embargoes that are in place all the time you know um whatever if they don't play by your rules they will not get access to your game you will you know we will freeze them out you will you will you'll block them out the part of that 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 bothers me <laughs> that part of it just because uh i can understand wanting to kind con- of control the story around your product um right. but in the case of kotaku you know i don't think it was that they were getting this information illegally they were getting this information dishonestly in most cases it seems like it's somebody working for one of those companies or who had worked for those companies who gave this information right. to these outlets and so if you want to have this draconian approach to news and to information it starts at home you know it doesn't start with you controlling the external world with you controlling what other people who are in another industry 
and they have other alter- they have motives that compete with your motives we'll say you know you can't right. control what that industry is doing but what you can try to control better is your own house and i mean you can have you can have retribution you can have penalties you can have whatever um but if some sketch of a world gets out there you need to find out you need to find that person if that's your policy if that's what your pr and marketing angle is um it's sort of that side of things that i think you have to be be more concerned with um but the broader picture of just where we are today and how the news how news circulates and how online publications have to try to get readers. I mean, I'm definitely sympathetic to that. I'm sympathetic to that. And I don't really want a world period where there are rules about what you can and cannot say as a journalist, as a journalist, the story is what people don't want you to know. The story is what, you know, somebody tells you not to say. And I find it a little bit ironic that Bethesda in Fallout 4, one of my, you know, non-people of color woman companions, who's cool, you know, I'm cool (laughs) with her enough. Piper is a whistleblowing journalist. You know, she's a journalist who you can tell from the tone of the main story, they like this. They like this about her. She's riled some feathers. She's pissed off the mayor. I mean, this isn't saying too too much to just say this part about her, but this is a journalist that has the push the button kind of mentality. She's handwriting you know, newspaper articles and stuff. And she's saying things that are unpopular or she's saying things that some people don't want to get out. So, I mean, Bethesda's writers at least kind of have an understanding of that and, a, and, a, and maybe an empathy or a sympathy for that. Um, but at the same time, the company is not is not acknowledging that. I just don't want a world of games criticism period or news period where uh, one entity can tell a completely different estate no, you cannot. You cannot do this. You you have to follow our rules, or else you will have no you know no information, no job, no whatever whatsoever. Uh, you'll be behind the curve. So that's where I'm coming from. It you know that's the angle I'm coming from. It at I don't know how to enforce that all of these players kind of play by whatever the rules are. Uh, and but I I would say that the part that stands out to me is this um, shutting down of communication and information, um, and you know, penalizing a company for, for saying something that you didn't want to get out there. Because I can't believe if they were reporting something else about, let's say, labor practices, cruel labor practices, that they wouldn't be blacklisted also, right? That that it doesn't right. matter the degree of the kind of information seems completely irrelevant here. It's just that we don't want you to do that. And I think that's a kind of scary um, media landscape to me as a, as a liberal, ac- as yeah. a liberal academic. <laughs> <laughs> now it, you know it's interesting that you that you have that stance um, and you articulated it very well, of course. But uh, I think uh, we were speaking about it beforehand, and I think interestingly enough, I couldn't have planned it any better. Quinn feels exactly opposite. Yeah, I, I, heard, of you. I heard a little bit uh, when Quinn, I came on, but I didn't hear the. the... <laughs> so, so Quinn, why don't you why don't you talk about um, basically same question and uh, what what are your feelings on it? Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I, I'm not sure it's exactly opposite. I, I just like so. I have like I feel like I have uh, empathy and a little bit of kind of disdain and fairly equal measures for both parties, right? Right. Um. So there's this game. So there's this game of access, 
right? And I think the, this, is, this is a critical issue that, that sort of this leaks open, right? There's this game of access, right? Everybody's trying to get their stuff out there. Everybody's trying to get the new thing. Like, that is part of the game of sure. the, the thing. And, and when you play that game, right, you're becoming a partner in a game company's marketing efforts, Right, like you, you, you have to realize that. Like, if you, if you're pretending that it's something else, you're being kind of naive about it. Right, right. You know, like, like you have to go. Okay, like they're giving us this access not because they care about journalistic integrity, because they don't. Right, right. They care about getting the, you know, the best reviews of their game out. You know, that's why they have review embargoes. You know, you can't. You know, do you can't talk about our game until X amount. You know, they they control the message, right? And when you do things where you can't, where they can't control the message, they go, "Hey, great, you don't get our stuff, right?" And since you've agreed to play the game of access, so you can get out there early, right? Then you then you leave yourself stuck every time you don't want to play ball. And so, I, I feel like you have to, at some point, you know. So so the game of access is a is a dirty game, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it, ha- it has a lot of these complications but then it's sort of for me when I read the thing I was just sort of like I was a little sort of taken aback because it's sort of they acknowledge that they're playing this game of access and then they're they're sort of trying to cry about it and be like hey but like you know they didn't give us access after we you know they, they basically say hey we went against the people giving us access and why won't they help us and it's like who does that who does that nobody does it nobody sits there and goes hey you're working working against my best inference hey why why not hey here's more ammo oh would you like a gun hey like i'll put a target on my face why don't you shoot me right like nobody does that right right and so so you know it's like you know uh uh what's it omar from the wire, you right, come at right. the king. You best not right. miss, right? right? <laughs> if, you, if you come, at, if you come at the king, then you 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 have to go. You have to go all the way, right? right. right. You know, and it's just like, and you can't be crying. You know, uh, you can't be crying about it later, right? Like you gotta, mm-hmm. you know, you load that gun. You, you you have to go, and so so I, I think they could get more sympathy because I because a lot of people I saw you know on social media myself were just like, what the heck? Like you know, what do you guys? doing like you know you weren't breaking any sort of journalistic interior you were just leaking things right um you know uh in advance uh but i think they'd get more sympathy if they were talking about changing the game because they're not talking about changing the game they're just complaining because the game didn't work out how they wanted it to right right now they're they, 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 they complaining because they wanted to play the game in a different way right than it is yeah now uh so some people have accused have accused uh, Stephen and or Kotaku and then Stephen Totillo specifically of being kind of whiny and uh, they're, you know using using their pla- their platform to grandstand. Would you would you agree with that um, based on based on that article, Quinn, or would you think it was something something else? Oh shit! Um, he's getting he's getting Bill Cosby. Oh no, I can't even say Bill Cosby. He's he he is he is being uh, introspective right now. He's really taking some time to think about his answer. Uh, um, so uh, so 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 sorry. Uh, repeat repeat the first bit for, for, for so, a second. So so you know so many people are saying that that uh, this article read as 
whiny and and kind of grandstanding ish. Um, do you do you kind of fall in with yeah. that camp, or do you think it, it was it was an earnest plea? Yeah, no, to, because because the thing is, he didn't. He he didn't uh, you know again he didn't talk about sort of like look here's the it wasn't like he was like laying out like here's what's wrong with the situation right and here's maybe how we could change it there were no solutions there like what like what was he what was he expecting to do was he just going to go well look they've locked us out and and sort of try and force their hands with that you know uh, it just didn't seem very it wasn't very uh, mature way to deal with this problem of access well it's worked in the past though. To to mm-hmm. their credit, it's worked in the past. They had a problem with uh, with Sony a few years mm-hmm. back, and they did the same kind of thing where they came out and said, "Hey, you guys want you know people are asking us for for early access with this Sony stuff, but Sony isn't giving us early access because of you know one reason or another." Um, mm-hmm. So so uh, they they reported that and then. They, you know, then Sony was like, all right, well, fine. You know, here's your access. Uh, you you know, you, you complained about it. And now, you know, and now we the balls in our court and, and we're giving you access again. So having said that, that may be one reason um, that this True. that this article came out is because they, you know, they tried it before and it worked. Uh, so having said that, you you do you believe that it was uh a you know grandstanding do you you know obviously this i mean there's no wrong answer here this is a you know completely completely uh subjective so well i mean oh no go ahead i was just over there i was excited oh yeah no no you go <laughs> i was gonna say i could really hear and feel um quinn's point about uh this is a game this is a game that they're playing of access right and how, right, right. Um, you know, and I'm totally on board with now we need to know some solutions. So like maybe this is the beginning of a conversation and maybe what comes out of this are some some expectations, some guidelines, because, yeah, I mean, they need each other. Right. This ultimately the game companies, the developers need the journalists. They need that right. that that hype machine. They need those. They need those 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 intentional leaks, you know, to be reported. Right. And they need the un- and they desire for the unintentional leaks to not be reported. But I mean, I think on both sides, especially on the game developer side, you've got to take the good with the bad. You need the media. Um, you want them to report on your game. You know, a game like Fallout Four. You want them giving it nine out of ten, nine point five out of ten, ten out of ten. You want that, and in order to get those ratings, people have to play it ahead of time. And as a consequence, there are going to be some times when people report things that you're not happy about, right? So that that they have to kind of make that concession on the one side. And the journalists on the other side, I think that's where I have more trouble kind of figuring out what those concessions are. Like what kinds of things should a journalist accept as fair play in that partnership and i hate calling it that but it, but right. quinn is absolutely right it is a partnership um I, I was sort of stopped short of wanting to see them as an extension of a developer's marketing plan and vision because then there's no room for hey the kind of reporting that you know we might want to see that goes against that if if we are fully on board with it being a partnership 
So what I would love to see are just, yeah, where what what's the reasonable amount of concessions that you can make as a journalist? I mean, there are certain embargoes that are in place. People couldn't talk about the fact that there was an embargo, you know. So, like, there's certain rules that they do accept. But I would love to see some conversation around what rules are completely um, not acceptable to accept as a journalist, right? Like, what kinds of things can you say, well, that violates my sense of journalistic integrity and autonomy, even though I want to play the game, I know that you need us and we need you too. You know, I, I, I just want to see some more, maybe this is the beginning of some more evolved, like just conversation around this. And I think this is where Gamergate um, kind of disingenuously, tr- you know, flag this as an area but now we have a right. we have a moment an authentic moment uh well i don't want to say authentic because i mean kotaku has its interest too and there's always you know some some coloring of their version of the story etc but we have a way a more right. serious way uh, a serious complaint in this kind of category or in this topic to think about and say right. maybe there are discussions that need to be had maybe there should be you know a way of releasing information from the developers to the media that's uniform you know and and you know not just kind of pick and choose who you happen to like this day maybe and then as journalists maybe there's a creed or a manifesto or some kind of doctrine where you're like well these are the things that we stand by and you know even if it means we get kicked out i mean i totally hear quinn's point about look you know they're not going to go ahead and give you a gun um maybe that those are the kinds of of risk you're willing to take when you leak things or you report things that you know are going to be met with you know um with with anger or, or retribution uh, maybe you're willing to do that anyway because it's consistent with your vision of what journalism is and not just occasionally when um you're like hey it's a big game like fallout 4 you guys have gone too far you know m- maybe right. we need <laughs> to have a robust conversation around this and maybe that's what this mm. will will uh will encourage Right. Well, you know, so a couple of things that 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 people need to understand um, about embargoes uh, specifically. Mm-hmm. Embargoes aren't forced. They're suggested. Um, you know, so when you say, oh, an embargo, I can't talk about this because of embargo. Really, the the, the proper wording is I won't talk about this because of the embargo, because, you know, the embargo is just a suggestion. There well, what is no yeah, suggestion. It's a what happens? Right, right, and, but, 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 but right, right, right. Well, that's that's the thing. That's the thing. So there's. It's not like an NDA where you actually sign something, right, right, right. and you're you're legally co- you know liable for any any leaks that that may come out as a result of something you know you know impropriety right. by you. Where you know whereas an embargo is just a rule set. A, a group of suggestions that that the that the publisher has for you um, to talk about. You know, these are the things with, about the game that you can talk about at these times. Right. And the implication is that if you want to continue to maintain a relationship with us, where you get more perks like this in the future, then you will follow this embargo to the letter, or else. You won't, you know, you won't, you won't have this relationship anymore. Um, But, but you're under no obligation to, to, you know, hold up, to hold to the embargo. Just, you just, if you do it, you do it at your own peril, you know, that you won't, you won't get stuff going forward. Um, You know, the thing I will say about 
about this this particular instance is um you know with regards to the embargo everyone everyone in the gaming industry plays ball on the journalistic side plays ball with the with the publishers with regards to the embargoes because in order for them to continue to get this type of access they've got to continue to play ball the one place and i would say maybe two places but the one place definitely that doesn't have to play ball is IGN and i think that if IGN had done what Bethesda had done and, and you know allegedly what Steve Steven Totillo is saying uh, is is that they in, in both cases with Bethesda they leaked information early about the Fallout games so obviously and you know another thing that everyone needs to understand is um, these are all human beings that both work in the journalism on the journalism side, work for Kotaku, work for, you know, us, um, you know, whoever it is. And and then people that work, uh, you know, on on the development side, you know, so people build relationships. You, you know, you go to the same, you wind up running in the same circles, you go into the same conferences, you've seen the same people over and over again, you get to meet people, you become friendly, you start talking and, you know, and then you start discussing different things. And sometimes... Because someone is a fan of someone else's work, just like we are fans of developers and artists and that kind of stuff. Developers and artists and what have you can become fans of writers. And if you're a fan of someone, maybe you give them some information that no one else knows. Maybe you get a scoop. And I know from, you know, from our side, when we were doing Spawn Point blog, if someone gave us a leak, in fact, when we did get leaks, you know, the, the very few times that we did get leaks, we got them and we ran with them right away because it's all about, you know, at the end of the day, it is all about the clicks. It's all about scooping your competitors so that you can become bigger, so that you can get to the point where you follow the rules as a courtesy. You know, you don't follow the rules out of necessity. And, you know, and that's kind of where I was going with IGN is IGN follows the rules out of out of out of courtesy. Now, they don't have to they don't have to follow embargoes. They don't have to do that anymore, but they do it because it would seem less than ethical. I wouldn't even call it unethical. It would seem less than ethical for them to just say, well, you know, fuck you. Fuck your embargo, son. You know, we're IGN. You're not going to you're not going to not give us early access to your games because you know we get we get you know what 40 million uniques a month or you know and i i probably probably much more than that but you know whatever the case may be millions upon millions of people check ign and it's uh as whereas whereas bethesda can push the thumb down on kotaku IGN can push the thumb down on Bethesda and say, you know, uh, look, this is, you know, this is where people go for information. You got to give it to us. They're not going to go to GameSpot or go to some other place. And maybe, you know, maybe they do. Maybe that's maybe that is the alternative. And maybe maybe IGN is still under the thumb of these developers and they've got to play ball. Uh, and they feel that way, but I don't think that that's the case that they that they feel that they have to play ball with these guys. Um, 
where do you think where do you think we can change things um, from you know from from this point like as as a as a learning opportunity for the industry how can we change things so that so that there it is more equitable from uh from you know both the development side and and the journalist side and the journalism side Quinn where with with regards to uh fairness in in how they communicate and and a realistic expectation on how they communicate i mean if it, it feels like to a certain extent some of it has to be trying to change that game of access right Mm -hmm. if it's all about trying to get the theme first and you know hey we have to have a review the day this thing releases so people can you know go and buy it it was like well you know for 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 me i think about it and i know it's uh you know for for people in the industry and stuff like that it's a little more complex than this but just from the outside i look at it and go wait so who said we had to play that game right like like why are we playing this game where we do that it's like you know you you want us to write about your game to to help talk about it and create buzz for it so you know i'll, I'll just like if you don't want to if you want to sort of strip me of access like i think you know rather than say going back to the kotaku thing rather than saying oh man they didn't give us the access so we had to be late and we're just like yeah we didn't get it so we just you know got you know th- this is what we did and and we we just gave you the review right right um and just start you know, give just good reviews. I mean, Kotaku's got a, a, a good presence. I mean, they're not IGN, but right. they've got a good presence, you know, and, and it's like you get, there's so much, you know, good games writing is um, is such a world on itself. Like, you know, a, a lot of game journalism I don't read. Like, I, I don't read a lot of the access kind of stuff because it's just, right. just not something I'm into. Right. But like where people are really writing these things that get you like into... Uh, the sort of space a game inhabits, and mm-hmm. um, you know, like a, w- one of my favorite ones I read uh, was uh, Austin Walker did one for um, uh, the uh, ba- was it Battlefield the uh, modern one uh, the one where it's like you're in the drug war. I'm trying to think Hardline. Oh, Hardline, yeah, Hardline. Yeah, yeah it was just, like just incredible, year. right? You know, and he, right. he he correlates it to all of these things and, and stuff like that. It was like one of the best video game reviews I ever read and and it's so outside of that world of like hey first day release right like you right. know like like I, I'd read that one 12 months after the thing was released right. you know and it right. still has value and finding values in things other than speed and immediacy mm-hmm. and sort of building you know and that it's going to take time and, and especially because so much of the industry is based on that sort of economy of immediacy, right? Um, you know, somebody's going to have to sort of make that jump and sort of push that ball. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and so and so that that'll take time. Okay. Well, Trey, what do you what do you think? Uh, how can the industry change change the way uh, the way information is handled and make it, I guess equitable or more equitable or or do you think it's equitable now no i mean the more i think about this this is on the journalists um and i love what quinn is saying here about changing that window of access or just sort of changing our values around that and the public look you know we're i think because of the digital culture that we live in 
there's always going to be that desire for immediacy. I mean, we even mm-hmm. even with Twitter, I mean, it's it's rapid, it's rapid fire, it's you know, it's short, it's to the right. point. We can see it where we have that, and I think that there's going to be a market for that for people who want you know the day a game releases or even 24 hours before they they're going to be people out there who want to see everything and want to know all the stuff, and so there's right. going to be that, but. Um, I think this is on the journalists to push against the, the culture of the embargo and to challenge and, p- and be willing to piss these companies off so that they can create the space for a different kind of journalism that doesn't emphasize that. And in doing that kind of challenging, kind of also kind of help change um, the expectations and the values of the gamers, right? Who Because one of the things that this... Um, public discussion of their blacklisting does is it gives it can give some people some pause and say okay wait a minute this story sounds credible to me i believe that they've been blacklisted you know how does that change right. my relationship to bethesda titles and ubisoft titles how does that change how i, I mean right. maybe i'll still play the games but how does that, ch- that change how i think about those companies right and and then this whole thing so I think that it's on the journalists to change that. I see the I see the the publishers wanting to control this for all the reasons that make perfect sense. You know, they want to control when the the marketing scheme for their for their product, and that's they're in the right to want to do that. However, they want to do that either by saying I'm going to make you an offer right. you can't refuse. Here's an embargo: you can or cannot follow these rules, but we suggest you do. Right. You know, they they might do that. Right. It's it's in their right. jurisdiction to do that. That's that's all. You know. That's fine, but then I think the journalists who don't accept that and say, you know, no, I'm, I'm going to talk about it earlier, or I'm going to tell you this, or I'm going to do this. I mean, I think that they can have a nice proactive kind of stepping out. So I'm just agreeing with what um, Quinn says here because I hadn't thought about possible solutions, um, but I think that th- that maybe that's something that can flow from this because right now it just looks ugly. A culture where it's like, hey, look, you know, we want you to follow this timetable. You can have access to it, but then you can't say anything until this date i mean that just doesn't sit well with me it just doesn't it, I, I think having yeah right. i mean but um changing that window of access and what it looks like and reviews that will be there day one and then reviews that are there day 12 and you know the other thing you would do is humanize these journalists you know when we're playing the games we who are not in the media and we get these games and i'm like i've only been able to put 10 to 12 hours into this game and here's what i found i actually want to hear from people who are in the same boat as me you know not they've already put 60 hours into it on day by day right. one and know everything you know that there's a market for that and there's li- there's literally money in that because people are going to watch those youtube videos with all the secrets all the compa- the only way i knew there was a companion list was because people have been playing it already right so there is going right. to be a market for that but at the same time um there's something really valuable and kind of playing something alongside someone else and having them report from the ground so uh, it's possible but journalists have to be willing to lose what they gain in terms of access right now Right. Well, it, you know, I think uh, there are a couple of things, you know, on, on both sides of this, and, and there's still so much meat on the bone of this of this issue. I, you know, I think that we could do m- maybe one or two shows of uh, talking just about this, um, and it's amazing. I think you know the 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 first thing that we gotta that we have to understand is that we've got two businesses competing with each other. Um, the the one the one controls the information flow the other dispenses the information flow 
And uh, for the journalists, for the journalism side, where they're dispensing information, the flow of information, their job is to try and get information out as quickly as possible, because the more unique stuff they have, the more traffic comes to them, the more traffic that comes to them, the easier it is for them to justify uh, bigger and better ads, more expensive ads and bigger and better, more expensive ads means more money for them. Uh, and, you know, and that's what it boils down to on the flip side and the developing the publisher side. Um, how they have these marketing plans and the marketing plans are basically how can we, you know, control our information and disperse our information in the most profitable way imaginable. And they spend lots of time and money devising this plan and they want to make sure that they're able to, you know, execute their plan the way that they, they foresaw. Um, so, uh, because that, potentially means the most money for them, uh, you know, the most game sales for them, which, you know, equals more money for them. And that's how they, you know, that's how they want to do things. It, it is so interesting to see how both of these sides are trying to accomplish very similar things with regards, you know, with respect to letting people know about games, you know, forthcoming upcoming games. Um, but they, they have such different ways of attacking, you know, attacking this this medium. Uh, having said all of that, uh, if Bethesda or Ubisoft decides that instead of giving those copies of games to Kotaku, they want to send them to Smonami, we'll follow any embargo you, you have. If you don't want me to tell myself about it, I will not tell myself about it. Just give me the game. Um, so, um, with that, I, I think, uh, I, I will say before we leave, um, Bricago, like I said, there's so much meat on this bone. Let's keep this conversation going. I want to know what you think. Um, we want to know what you think, how you feel about this issue, um, who you felt was, you know, I don't even know if there is a, a right or wrong. And I don't know if, if you know, if you're listening to the show and you're thinking about this issue, um, I, I, I would encourage you not to think in such finite terms because it, it is it is really so nuanced. Um, so before you come and you talk to me and you tell me uh, or you tell us who was right or who was wrong, tell me what you think. And and where you stand, um, because I think where you stand is probably in a place that's not necessarily right or wrong if you really take the time to think about it. Um, so, yeah, so I'll, I'll leave you with that. The, the word of the day is nuance. Um, come come to Chicago, talk some nuance and have a spirited debate. Um, this was a very spirited debate uh, between myself our minister of uh, security and our minister of style, uh, Trey, Trey, it was so wonderful to see and talk to you again. Thank you so much for coming around. Uh, why don't you tell, besides getting tenure, um, tell, tell everybody what you're working on and how they can contact you and, you know, what's happening. Well, um, I'm working on three books that are all in production, and one is that <laughs> video game book. And as I said, things take a long time in the academic publishing to come out, but we hope it'll be out in uh, maybe at the end of next year. And what will be out right in on. 2016, and I will be back to talk about it, 
uh, are the other two books, the Tyler Perry book, and that'll come out in the spring. So I will be back to talk about maybe a little right. bit about Tyler Perry. And uh, my book, Blackness is Burning, um, which is on 60s and 70s black popular culture, and that will come out next year. So um, those are all the good things. I'm working on new projects now. Um, I, I, I work on new media in general, so I'm, I'm writing an article about YouTube, and then I'm working on this NBA 2K16. Um, but um, you can find me on Twitter at Professor TMR, and uh, always a friend of Brooke Hago, always a friend and a fan. Word up, word up. Uh, thanks so much. Our communications or our, our minister of security, Quinn Murphy, uh, thanks so much for being here. Uh, why don't you tell the people where they can find you and all the great shit that you're working on because it's a lot. Yeah, um, I have um, uh, uh, so my uh, blog is thoughtcrimegames.net um, the uh, Output slowed down a little bit, but it's it's, it's coming along. Um, uh, there, I'll have some uh, new new stuff up uh, soon. Uh, I have a Patreon uh, where I'm designing. Um, I hesitate to call them role playing games, or just more like collaborative fiction kind of things. <laughs> uh, now, um, you know, uh, uh, Patreon.com/slash/Quinn, and uh, uh, in December I am. Uh, going to be doing uh, starting a newsletter called Social Fictions and it's all about uh, kind of uh, it's going to be a semi-weekly newsletter um, all about sort of talking about uh, creative play and storytelling there Um, and that'll be at tinyletter.com Quinn Murphy nice and yeah and and on uh, I I talk too much on Twitter at uh, QH (laughs) underscore Murphy um, if, if you want to, if you want to have your timeline flooded with crazy thoughts about uh, magic, social justice, uh, computers, and whatever the heck is going on in my brain that day, I'm your guy. Um, uh, you probably mute me shortly, but that's okay. Um, and yeah. Uh, that, that's pretty much it right on right on I will uh, quickly give our social media business is as follows uh, the great captain gone but not forgotten uh, certainly missed he is uh, Kali Adams at Kajakins on Twitter I am at Stubby Stan on Twitter I am the fumbler bumbler stumbler of names and words and things um, you can find the show on all social media platforms at Spawn on Me and uh, make sure you check us out on ESN. Uh, make sure you go to our site uh, to communicate with us, spawnon.me. You can check out all of our past shows and our guests and uh, all that good stuff there. And obviously, like I said, you can leave us questions via email or speak pipe or uh, video chat. We don't give a fuck. Just, just uh, you know, come and talk to us. Um, and uh, I'm not going to break out in the Jody C songs. Um, uh, let's see what else, what else? We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash spawn on me. You can leave us just a dollar a month to help keep the buses running in Bricago. Um, you know, we've got black academics. We've got, uh, you know, we've got a lot of ministers that we've got to take care of. They've got a lot of jobs and responsibilities. And just for one dollar a month, you can help us out and make sure all that stuff is working. Uh, you can check out our merch at redbubble.com slash spawn on me. Um, find us on iTunes and, you know, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, make sure you rate review uh, and subscribe and tell your friends. We really, really appreciate 
appreciate it. Uh, uh, hopefully uh, you guys continue to do that. Uh, shout out before we go to Cody C, um, Bricargo resident who is always hitting us up. So uh, wanted to shout him out. Uh, we see you out there. And also shout out to our main man, our, uh, our you know, one of one of our new ministers. Uh, he what is he? He is the. Shit, I can't remember now. Minister uh, of finance? I'm sorry, Adam. Oh no, not minister. No, of not our minister. Not our minister of finance. He is. Ah, <laughs> oh, shit. I can't. I can't remember. Someone. Someone remind me what Adam Sessler's title is. Um, I'm really fucking terrible since you didn't uh, even keep a list of your cabinet, your various I, ministers. So like I, I've got. I've got a list. Uh, I've got a list of the cabinet, but you know, as as usual, I'm fumbling and bumbling and stumbling through it, so I don't remember. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, shout out to Adam. Sessler and Elphonic and Gun Media um, for getting Friday the 13th, the game, funded. Uh, they even made a few stretch goals. We're really, really excited for that. Uh, really proud of them. I know it was was some some super hard work. Uh, so congratulations to you guys. We're, we're, uh, Bricago is very proud of you guys. Um, and uh, I think if that is, if there's nothing else, I will say for Quinn Murphy, for Dr. Trey Andrea Restworm, for the absent Khalif Adams, I am Cicero Holmes. This is episode 86 of the Spawn on Me podcast, and we say, hey.